0: He had to be disappointed. He was a third grader and his brother was on my baseball team when I was a sophomore in high school. And this third grade boy hung around our our dugout all the time during games. Uh, He'd come up and give us high fives. He loved being around the team. He loved baseball. And he played baseball himself. And so every time I saw him, I made sure to ask him how his baseball was going, how his team was doing, how he was doing personally. I talked to him about his hitting, I talked to him about the position he played, which was first and pitcher, uh, I talked to him about his previous game before. If I knew they had a game, I'd ask how their game went, and how he personally did in the game, and if they won or lost, and, and all that. And then one day, he, he was at our game, and he asked me, hey, Steven, would you come to my game on Saturday? And I looked at him and said absolutely. Saturday rolled around and it was getting close to uh, the game time and I decided to do something else. I didn't go. I have to imagine he was disappointed because someone from a group of a team that he looked up to told him he was going to do something and then didn't follow through on their word. I promised this kid that I was going to go to his game, and I didn't go. I have to imagine he was disappointed. Maybe you know the feeling too, the feeling of disappointment, because somebody gave you their word, and they didn't follow through on their promise. Maybe someone told you that they would be there to help you. They'd be there for you if you needed anything. Well, the time came when you needed something, and you reached out to them, and they weren't there. Maybe someone told you that they would be faithful to you until death do us part. Well, both of you are still living, but here you are, and they're off doing something else. We live in a world where we're used to promises being made and promises being broken and the disappointment when a promise is broken. We probably all know that feeling at some point. And so wouldn't it be great if there was someone in our life that as soon as they said something to us, we knew without a doubt it was true. Wouldn't it be great if we had somebody who, who promised us something when they made a promise, we could have the hope and the confidence that it's going to come true and that they will follow through on what they promise. Now, since we're in a Christian church and since I'm a Christian pastor, you're probably expecting me to say, well, we have God and this is God. And of course it is. That's who I'm going to say. But how do we know? Because God's made a lot of promises in the Bible to us and we look around And we can say sometimes, God, I don't see this promise coming true. You promised this, but as I look at my life, I don't see that happening. So how do I know that I can trust God? How do I know that he's going to keep his promise? And then the second question we're going to answer today is why? Why does God keep his promise? Why can I trust him? So what we're going to talk about as we look at a familiar section today, uh, Luke chapter 1. It's the angel Gabriel coming to visit Mary. Let me give you the context real quick before we just jump right in. Uh, this is around 2 BC-ish, somewhere around there, uh, and the Romans were ruling just about everything in the known world at the time, uh, including the Middle East where the Jews lived, they, ru- they ruled over Jerusalem, they ruled over Galilee, and the middle area called Samaria, uh, Romans rule. The Jews had a king, his name was King Herod, but he was more of a puppet king that the Roman government set in place. Uh, he didn't really have much authority, he answered to the Roman government. The Jews were kind of scattered throughout everything, and the Jews were waiting for God's promise to come true. God's promise to send a Messiah. God's promise to send a Savior. God's promise to send that king that He promised to King David. The only problem? God hadn't said anything. God hadn't sent a new prophet in 400 years. 400 years, God had gone silent. Think about how long 400 years is. That's longer than the United States has been a nation. 400 years, God hadn't sent a prophet. Think of all of the people who grew up hearing that God's going to send somebody, but never hearing a new word from God. I have to wonder if people were starting to become disappointed in God. God made these promises, but now He's been silent. Where is He? Why is He not acting? Why is He not fulfilling? Maybe God doesn't keep His promises. Maybe they were thinking that. And it's in this context that God sends the angel Gabriel to a young teenager named Mary. We're in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary was a typical Jewish girl. She may not have been well-versed in Scripture, where, you know, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 3. uh, She might not have been able to tell you that, but every Jewish kid grew up hearing the Jewish stories. Abraham. Everyone know who Abraham was. Moses and the exodus from Egypt and their slavery to the Egyptians. uh, the, The Mount Sinai experience, the walls of Jericho and the conquest that happened there. They grew up hearing these oral stories, these oral narratives again and again. And one of those was King David. We looked at the scripture lesson 2 Samuel chapter 7 earlier and how King David wanted to build a temple for God God said no, and that someone would come after him, that he would establish his throne forever. And this is who they were waiting for. And Mary would know that story. Mary would know that story, and here it is. God comes to Mary, and she's the first person to hear that promise that God made 1,000 B.C. is being fulfilled, Mary, and it's going to be through you and the son that you're going to have. God made that promise a thousand years ago, and here it is, through you. Think of all the people who went through their whole life not seeing this promise fulfilled, and now here it is. God's promise is fulfilled at Christmas. So the first thing we learn from this section of Scripture is that Christmas proves that God keeps his promises. Christmas proves that God keeps his promises. A thousand years it took for God to fulfill it. Why? We learn two things about this promise uh, being fulfilled at that time that gives you and me hope and confidence. And, And the first one is that God waited a thousand years not to just drag it out. He waited to the absolute perfect time to send his son into the world. It was the perfect time in history with the Romans ruling, with the Jewish people scattered, uh, with the, the road system in place, the mail system, everything that they had in place for Jesus to be born into the world so that he could die and be crucified and rise from the dead. It was the absolute perfect time in history for the Son of God to be born. God keeps His promises at the exact right time. And this promise wasn't necessarily an easy one to keep. I mean, for God, all promises are easy, but think about it from God's perspective. This wasn't just fulfilling a promise to to feed people. This was a promise that had God send His one and only Son into the world. Not to just rule on an an earthly throne, but to establish a heavenly throne, a, a forever kingdom. And what would that take? It would take God giving His one and only Son, knowing full well that He'd grow up and suffer. That He'd grow up and die and be crucified. That He'd grow up and endure hell for us and yet God sent him. God kept his promise. And that's what we see here in Luke chapter 1. God promised a thousand years before it came true with Mary. This gives you and me such confidence. It gives us such confidence and hope as we look at the world around us, as we look at the promises that God makes to us in Scripture. Because if we're honest, sometimes we look at those promises and we say, yeah, but. God, here's what you say, but here's what I see and I'm experiencing, and I'm not seeing that promise come true. What one promise in Scripture that we as Christians like to, to quote a lot is Romans 8.28. For we know that in all things God works for the good, of those who love him. That's a promise made in Scripture that God makes to you and me. And so as, we go, as we're going through hard times, we open up to that section of Scripture and we say, God, here's your promise. You're going to work all things out for my good. And we close up the Bible and we have such hope and confidence. And then the next day, nothing changes. And then weeks pass and nothing change, changes. Months pass And we still have the same difficulties, the same hardships, the same uh, heartaches. Years go by, and we have the same problems. And we look and we say, God, I don't see you fulfilling this promise to me. Nothing has changed. And we're tempted to be disappointed in our God. We're tempted to look at God as another promise maker and promise breaker. We look at this section of Scripture, and we hear that God establishes Jesus' throne forever. And what do we know about Jesus? He's holy, he's perfect, he's in control of all things, he's on his heavenly throne, everything answers to him. He's supposed to have control over everyone and everything. And then we look at the world, and it seems evil is getting out of control. You turn on the news at night, and it's one hard thing after another one murder, one the- uh, theft some kind of crime, and it looks like the world is getting worse. And we look and we say, Jesus, are you really on the throne? God, are you really keeping this promise? Because if so, then how come there's evil in the world and at the rate that it's accelerating, and how come you're not doing something about it? And we're tempted to come to two conclusions. Either one, Jesus really isn't in control of all things. Or two, if he is in control of all things, he must not be all that loving. Because otherwise, why is all this evil going around? It has to do with God's sovereignty and human will. We look at the promise that God makes to us in Scripture, that he's with us always. Emmanuel, God with us. And yet I sure don't feel like God's with me. How come the seasons of loneliness continue to extend? If God is with me, how come I don't feel like he's here? How come I don't feel his presence? Where is he if God is truly with me? You see, what we tend to do, what we're tempted to do, is look at our circumstances and say, God, if I trust your promise as long as I can see the fulfillment Soon, It took God a thousand years to fulfill the promise to King David because that was the exact right moment for the promise to be fulfilled. What Christmas does is it proves to you and me that God is a promise keeper. He keeps his promises and it gives you and me hope and confidence in this life. Because when God promises something, he's going to fulfill it at the exact right time when, it, when it's the exact right moment. And that allows us to trust, which is the essence of faith, isn't it? Faith is being sure of what we hope for even when we don't see it come to fulfillment. It's, a certain, it's an eager expectation, it's an eager trust and confidence that when God promises something, he's going to do it even if I don't see it happen. And that's what Christmas proves. God is a promise keeper. And it gives us the confidence to look at the promises he makes us and say, yes, Lord, you will do it because you promised it. You are a promise keeper. Mary was the first one to hear that God was fulfilling this promise. She just had a couple questions. Like, how's this going to happen? Because there's something very important here. Here's what she says. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. God at Christmas proves that He is a promise keeper, and what we also see about God's promises at Christmas is that God's promise at Christmas proves that uh, God's Christmas—wow! Christmas proves that God's promises won't fail. There's nothing impossible for God, like a virgin conceiving and giving birth. Which, by the way, God also prophesied about and promised in Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 7, God said, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Another fulfillment. And something that is humanly impossible, God makes happen. God makes happen. Now, if you're here today or if you're watching online and, and you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing, if if you're sitting here thinking this seems very fairytale-ish, I get it. Because this isn't humanly possible. But it's possible for our God. God, is ex- God can do anything. Like say, let there be light, and light gets created. The word of God is extremely powerful, more powerful than we could ever imagine. And when God promises something, He will fulfill it, no matter how impossible it seems to you and me. And that's what we learn at Christmas: the impossible becomes possible because God promised it. There's nothing too hard for our God. When He promises it, it will happen. And that gives you and me great confidence. For instance, Jesus, His name means He saves. God sent Jesus into this world to save us from our sins. And God promises that through Jesus, all of our sins have been forgiven. And what we're tempted to do is to say, yeah, but not that one. How can God forgive me for that when I can't even forgive myself? How can he save me from that sin when I can't forgive myself for what I've done? But there's nothing too hard for our God. There's no promise from God that will ever fail. And when he says that through Jesus all your sins are forgiven, all are forgiven. No little asterisk, the sign that at the bottom it says, oh, footnote, except for this one. No, all your sins have been forgiven because God prom- God's promise never fails. Nothing's impossible for him. As we get close to death, or a loved one gets close to death, and, and, and we see death coming, it seems so irreversible. It's the end. It's over. It's so final. And we look and we say, God, you promise that you're going to raise us back to life, but I've never seen it happen. In fact, nobody has seen it happen, not since 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. How can you bring someone back to life? Because God promises it. And there's nothing too hard Nothing too impossible, nothing that God has ever promised that will fail. When God promises something, no matter how hard it is, it will happen. And that fills you and me with great confidence, and great trust, and great hope. Christmas proves that God keeps His promises, and Christmas proves that there's nothing too hard for our God. That's how we can trust God. But why does God keep his promises? It's your last point today. God keeps his promises only because of grace. Why did God choose Mary to be the mother of Jesus? Grace. Why did God choose to fulfill his promises to a, a Adam and Eve after they turned their back on God and blamed God for the sin in the world? Grace, why did God fulfill his promises to a nation that continued to turn their back on God again and again? Grace, why does God fulfill his promises to you and me? Grace, undeserved love. It has nothing to do with your behavior. It has nothing to do whether you're good or you're bad, whether you're naughty or nice. It has nothing to do with you at all. God keeps his promises only because of his undeserved love and favor for you and me. Through his son Jesus, God keeps every single promise to us because of grace. And that fills us with confidence. It fills us with trust. And it fills us with an eager expectation called hope that what God promises will happen. And so there's only one thing thing left to do. It's to respond like Mary. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You and I this Christmas season get to look at all the promises that, that God makes to us in Scripture and we get to say, to, like just like Mary, we are the Lord's servant. May the word of God to us be fulfilled. Because it will. Because our God is a promise keeper. His words will never fail. And he keeps his promises only because of his undeserved love for you and me. And that grace will never run out through Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born that first Christmas. And so, let's go into Christmas with trust, with confidence, and with hope, knowing for sure that God is that promise keeper that we so desperately want. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise and thank you for coming into the world and being our Savior. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son into the world, uh, who came willingly, uh, and you sent him to fulfill all the promises of Scripture that you made. Uh, They are fulfilled in him, and we're so incredibly thankful that you sent that, the gift of your Son that first Christmas. We thank you that we can have hope and joy. We can have confidence and trust knowing that Uh, you are going to fulfill all of your promises because we have example after example in Scripture of how you do just that. We thank you for fulfilling those promises to us at the exact right time. We ask you to fill us with that trust and with a heart like Mary that simply says, we are your servants. May your word to us be fulfilled. Strengthen our faith. Send your Holy Spirit that we may trust your promises more and more. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.